Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. So, Color Me Dead, episode 102. Is dead. Is it? Or is it just colored? (laughs) (laughs) But don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Before we start the episode, let's go ahead and talk about where to find us. Because you can find us on Twitter at Color Me Dead Pod, Facebook at Color Me Dead Podcast. If you want to join the group, it's Color Me Dead Podcast Group. Good luck and Godspeed if you go in there. Amen. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Color Me Dead Podcast. You can follow Nikki at Gory underscore Nikki or me at Color Me Dead Angel. If you'd like to send us fan mail, mail bombs, <laughs> or treats, anything. That we can wear anything that we can eat, any anything at all. We like getting mail. P.O. Box sixteen ten, Vernal, Utah <laughs> eight four zero seven eight. Hate mail. Hate mail. mail. I don't even care anymore. Drawing. Care. I don't care anymore. Draw us pictures. Draw me a picture. Uh huh. Write me a letter. Draw me like one of your French girls. Yes. <laughs> don't uh, do that. <laughs> no. If uh, you guys want to go, check us out at eight. If- eight. All we hear is Radio Gaga, Radio Goo Goo, Radio Gaga. If you'd like to check us out at ageofradio.org slash Dead, you can go check out all of our sponsors, click on the links, look at things available, check out the bazaar, and listen to all of our episodes. You can also find all of our brother-sister podcasts. If you go on the bazaar, you can go to... The loot crate, you know that Harry Potter crate that mm-hmm. I was getting? See, and I like you the loot crate. You can get that through us. All of, All of that, you can get that through us. And it gives us a little kickback. I like the loot fright. That's yep. my favorite one. Um, Do you, you get, get it? I canceled mine. Oh, I know. Um, I canceled mine too because I was being a cheap ass. Yeah, well, I had some shit that I want to take care of, namely my teeth. But yeah. um, loot fright is my all-time favorite. You get badass, like... So for Christmas, I got Krampus cookie cutters, I got a bookmark, I got a plate, and I got a shirt. Like, I got a Krampus t-shirt. Um, I've got, like, La La Roña. I've gotten stuff. Like, Valentine's Day is one of my all-time favorites, because I got a Dracula shirt that says Love Bites. And, yeah, dude, I got, like, <sighs> custom Valentines and shit. Like, I really like Loot Fright. Well, the, this favorite. month is Jaws. That's why I was asking you if oh. you got it, because they wanted to see all the Jaws stuff. Sorry. I got Jaws socks this weekend. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, Patreon. You can also get that on Age of Radio, or you can go to Patreon and look up Color Me Dead podcast. And we want to say a great big thank you to our examinators. Rhett Harris, Melissa Morgan, and Sharon Hoffman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all your examination you've been doing. <laughs> Except for I. Yeah, but Rhett really would give an examination. He really would. <laughs> we do not need you to bring your, what are those things that they use the for speculum? a pap smear? Yeah, we don't need you to bring your speculum. Swab, swab, swab. Examinate yourself from there. <laughs> His comment about the surveillance in our houses the other day made me giggle, though, when people were asking where to find us where to listen to us oh right and he was like i don't know i just listened to the surveillance that i had installed in their houses <laughs> i was like <laughs> god like bless it. you because all you would hear from like out of my house is me saying an inordinate amount of dirty words me eating non-stop because that's all i fucking do and farts oh man the farts have been pretty brutal um so today we are actually going to be covering david Ro- david rothenberger he was the boy that fire could not kill and in my head it's ben roethlisberger <laughs> so <laughs> too much espn i don't maybe. know maybe <laughs> big ben the rape machine yeah it's he's more of a raper not a burner yeah, i don't know so allegedly yeah, this- allegedly <laughs> Uh, So this is going to be three, maybe four parts. And I know that not everybody enjoys when we do parts, but if we were to try and cram all of this into one, even two episodes, it would not happen. Yeah. It'd be like a nine hour fucking podcast and I don't have the mental fortitude. Right. (laughs) To like. (laughs) I'm getting my hands already on my hips. If you don't like parts, I am so sorry. There's too much to go through to not have parts. I really just don't know if you guys know this. But based on the amount of fucking sidetrack squirrel hunting bullshit and the fact that we also have children and lives, let's get back on track. Let's do. Let's do. Okay, so this is 
David Rothenberger, he is the boy that fire couldn't kill. And as a warning to you, this actually involves attempted child murder and severe burn trauma, which are two of Nikki's least favorite things. So bear with her. Because she'll probably gag and heave on a couple oh, of these. Oh, I will. I I can guarantee you I'm going to be over here gagging and puking with you guys. So, David Rothenberger was actually, um, when, this, when this story first happened, I was only a couple years old and I lived in Bakersfield, California with my mom and dad. Well, no, I think we were still in Wyoming. But by the time the movie came out, like the made-for-TV movie came out and the, you know, the case was really big in a lot of different areas... My mom was not okay <laughs> when this story broke. Um, another thing that my mom was really, really afraid of when she divorced my father, who was eight this? years old, was shit like this, where you can't trust an able, unstable person with your children alone because you don't know what kind of shit they will do. David Rothenberger, who would later be known professionally as Dave Dave, is perhaps one of the most incredible stories in true crime history. Um, Not only did this kid sustain maximum burn damage, but he fucking lived. So, David was born to Marie and Charles Rothenberger, June 18th, 1976, in Brooklyn, New York. His parents were... They had a very tumultuous relationship, to say the least, and it was like from the very beginning, and it was very much at the hands of his unstable father, Charles. Much is really unknown about Charles, and why? Because he came from nothing, like no family, no people, no history, and the only history he provided came from himself. So, Hmm. yeah, and the guy... Exactly. Well, nothing can really be confirmed. Like, very little can be confirmed because this guy is a pathological liar and his entire life is just this tapestry of lies. It's just story after story after story. Charles Rothenberg claimed to have been born to a prostitute in 1940, making him roughly 78 right now. So, he claims that his mom took him and put him in an orphanage in the Bronx and that she came periodically to visit him over the years so not only was he like dumped in an orphanage she allegedly made it exponentially more painful by showing up every now and again visiting him and then leaving again which basically solidified his thought in his mind that he was very much unwanted and said that this was more painful than not having a mother at all like if she had just taken him and dropped him off and and i wonder what the real story is like i don't know did she really come and visit, or is that something he just made up in his brain to make I, to make his story just a little bit more painful? I have no idea. So, he said that it left no question for him that, you know, other children were, maybe they were wanted, but they couldn't be cared for, but he was certainly unwanted. He said that he left the children's home at the age of 15 and lived briefly in Massachusetts with an uncle working as a soda jerk at a drugstore. So if you guys don't know what a soda jerk is, it's basically somebody that mans the front counter of like a variety store and makes the fucking floats. What he is is a jerk yes. that sells soda. Like yes. he is supposed to, it's like Dick's Last Resort. <laughs> you go Roar. in and they have to be assholes to you because he's a soda jerk. Okay, he's a soda jerk. Uh, that being said, he has his uncle, Saul Rothenberg, who now lives in Los Angeles. Um, his last known residence was in los angeles he denied ever living with his uh with his nephew the son of his sister he did confirm that charles had been born out of wedlock and that he had lived in an orphanage which he thought was affiliated with the church he said that charles did come and work with him at his drugstore but only lasted a week because every single day cash was missing out of the the register i'm shocked i know color me color me surprised uh another relative that asked to remain unidentified per their request for this article said that uh charles rothenberg's mother was not a prostitute her name was clara and that clara rothenberg was a small-time cabaret entertainer who was killed by a cab on halloween when charles was about 20 years old so there may have been some discrepancies about what kind of lifestyle she actually led um but it was you know they did say that he did live in an orphanage and that his mother did leave kind of a risque lifestyle i don't know that she was a sex worker i don't know you know i don't know or if she just sang to moulin rouge what the fuck i don't know what they say dude you sound like a choking chicken 
That's what I sound like when I sing, don't you know? Gitchy, gitchy, ya, ya, ta, ta. Yeah, that. I don't know what they say, so I just gitchy, was trying gitchy, to like. Gitchy, um, Well, mocha, choco, la, ta, ta, ta. Sweet lady, ma- marmalade. Um, I know that Because part. I fucking love Moulin Rouge. That's like my favorite musical ever. Yeah. Because you can, can, can. Because you can, 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 can. I haven't seen <gasps> the movie for a while. Fuck, I like dude. I watch it like twice a year, just a cuz. Just cuz. Mm-hmm. It's got a really soundtrack. Anyway. Most of what is known about Rothenberg's... I keep trying to... I know. I keep trying to say Roethlisberger. This Down. is going to oh. be a struggle. So somebody actually goes to my daughter's school with the last name Roethlisberger, and somebody tried to fucking church it up and make it fancy last night, and they're like, and so-and-so Roethlisberger. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't try to church it up, dirt. Don't you mean Joe Dirt? I was like, it's Roethlisberger. And they were like, Roethlisberger. And I was like, Holy shit. Yeah, I, I had a pretty good fucking laugh over Invernal. that. Invernal. Anyway. Most of what is known about Rothenberg's past by co-workers, even Marie and a Catholic priest who befriended him when he was a youth is almost exclusively based on what he told them. Father Ronald Connor, in particular, who is now the Dominican, now in the Dominican Republic, stressed to police that Rothenberg was a habitual liar. I'm surprised about that, considering <laughs> the story. During the arrest following his heinous crimes against his son, the police and Marie were both astounded by how little history there was on Charles. He listed his next of kin as Father Connor and claimed numerous times that Father Connor raised him and that he did work for the priest in the Peace Corps in the DR, which the father le- later debunked. He right. Was like, so, and no. He was like, yeah, I, Father Father Connor raised me and I did Peace Corps work in the Dominican Republic and, um, you Maybe know. Maybe in your head. But. Yeah, no. Because the father later came back and was like, yeah, it's not accurate. When you're thinking things, let's separate the things that actually happened and the things that you think happened. Exactly. And we'll go with the ones that actually happened. Charles had told Marie many stories over the course of seven years, and many proved to be lies. It was a shock when Father Connors, when Father Connors turned out to be real. <laughs> yeah. So when they started looking for some of the people that Charles claimed to have been part of his past, they thought that Father Connors was going to be a whole big sham. And they're like, and then oh, they actually shit. find him, and they're like, oh my god, he exists. He's real. <laughs> The father said that he met Charles in the 60s when he was incarcerated in New York. And the father, upon questioning from the police, advised that he was under the impression that Charles had been raised by Saul, Uncle Saul. Right. So there's this, once again, talking about that tapestry of lies. <laughs> so he, Uncle Saul is like, no, I had this kid for like a week. And Father Connor's like, I didn't meet this person until way, way later. So who actually raised him and how? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Father Connors had merely reached out to help Charles in jail at the behest of his local churchgoers. Uh, Charles had subsequently fabricated the long-term history between them. Weird. Never having a real family, Rothenberg said, um, compelled him to shower his only child with love and devastated him when his wife left him. It devastated him when his wife left him. Yes. Because he didn't have a family. He was trying to make the fake family and then it didn't fucking work out. Surprise. Weird. Yeah. I can't imagine a man of his... Yeah. can't imagine it wouldn't work out with a man like him. How could you not make it work? Oh, let me paint with all the colors (laughs) of the wind right now. I'll let my hair down and we can both pretend to be Pocahontas. Yeesh. Um, Because I'm going to dive very deep into Charles and Marie's shit show of a wedding. Not wedding. Marriage. Because there wasn't a wedding. Yeah, I was was like, what wedding? (laughs) No, there there wasn't. Yeah, that was a shit show of a wedding because there wasn't one. There wasn't one. No. Charles was a con man, a liar, and a thief, and and I'm going to say and a lot. Charles was a con man, a liar, a thief, and a manipulator. He had sunk his hooks into young Marie, who was a troubled youngster herself. Weird. Like, like you do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Childhood trauma. You too, girl. It's like that part on Deadpool. <laughs> Uncle? Uncles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. I'll take you childhood had, trauma for 500, Alex. You had a dishwasher? <laughs> yeah. We lived in a dishwasher box. <laughs> you had a dishwasher? <laughs> 
Charles was charming, handsome, and showered Marie with the affections that she had so desperately deserved as a child. She was alone in a big city from Pennsylvania with little family of her own. Marie's biological mother was very abusive, an angry alcoholic that was responsible for many injuries to Marie. When Marie had only been six years old, her drunken mother demanded that she go in the basement to retrieve coal for the furnace. It was the dead of winter in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and her brother Alan had taken her slippers into his room. Marie had not wanted to go down in the freezing basement without them to stock the coal for the fire. Yeah, because, you know, fucking footwear is important, especially if you're going down into the coal basement. You, you'd not like cold, to have, duh, with yeah. a D on the end, which it was. Coal. coal. Like sharp shards of sharp things that could puncture your feet. You'd like to have a little, a little protection between your feet and the floor. I don't know. Call me crazy. Jesus. When she told her mother this, her mother screamed at her to stay away from Alan and go fetch the coal. Marie's brother, Alan, was kept locked in an upstairs room. He was a person of diminished mental mental capacity, and for whatever reason, he was kept cooped in that room. Marie had taken it upon herself to sneak into the room to get her footwear before venturing into the cold basement. Because who the fuck wants to go down there without shoes? Dude, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere that is cold. And I'm certainly not going to try and walk my little ass across sharp things. Sorry. No. Not sorry. So when her mom catches her, Marie, like, could not get out of the... She couldn't get out of the way fast enough, okay? And her mom grabs her and throws her into a couch, like an old rickety couch that had, like, an iron rail Mm. on the back. And beat the shit out of her following that. Now, what happens after this beating is Marie ends up with a dislocated hip and several different injuries from her mom just whooping the shit out of her. Marie couldn't walk, and what... She could walk with a great deal of pain and effort, meaning she was essentially dragging this limb behind her. Seeing the result of her drunken abuse, her mom feared taking her to the hospital for any kind of treatment or medical attention. So her mother simply just kept her home to avoid any kind of conflict or answering any questions from authorities. I don't want any questions. So I'm just going to stay here, keep you here and hope that you're okay. Because hey, uh, I heard that if you lick it and rub some dirt on it, it'll just be fine. It will. Yeah. So when the swelling and the pain kept her from getting to and from the bathroom, her mom would just like grab her like a sack of potatoes and like put her under arm and cart her to the bathroom. And then she'd put her on the toilet to go to the restroom, but then like fucking leave her there. Like, fuck it. You know, you You just sit on the toilet. You just sit on the toilet because then I don't have to like keep coming back for you. That's ridiculous. Which could you imagine how wildly uncomfortable that would be? How sleep your legs would be. (laughs) Yeah. So you've got your six. Keep in mind, she's like six, seven years old. So I guarantee you her little feetsies are not touching the ground. She's got a dislocated hip, amongst other things, and she's sitting on this toilet just like, ugh. Well, when... <laughs> God. So she... the oh, Sorry, I just stopped and thought about that. So she's like, could you imagine sitting there for an extended period of time? Like your hip and your leg are all twisted and mangled and it's dislocated. And you're just sitting on it. No, mine go to sleep as is, and mine don't dangle. Like I can mine actually do. touch. Yeah. Where were we? And I saw you in the stall, and your toes were up, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember where we were. It's probably at your house, actually. The one time, you sit down, and your toes are just a swinging. Yeah. <laughs> so I often kick my legs, like when I'm sitting down, and it's like that all the time. Like I, I don't touch the ground. I'm five feet tall. I'm very small. So I was actually in there using the restroom and I was just like kicking my little feet. Spencer walks through. So, you know, there's the, the mm. main door and then you can get to my bathroom from my bedroom. He comes walking in and he looks over and he just like burst out laughing. And he's like, <laughs> you look like you're waiting for the bus. And I'm like just sitting there swinging my legs while I'm taking, taking Got my lunch packed up, <laughs> my boots tied tight. Oh, I don't get in a fight. Yeah, that's anyway. Oh, back to school. Back to school to prove to dad that I'm not a fool. <laughs> All right. So the principal. So. Yeah. God bless your editing. <laughs> the principal grew concerned about Marie's continued absences and they started to make the phone calls because usually and especially back then, your kid has to be gone for quite some time Yep, for them to actually reach out. 
and mm-hmm. want to know where the fuck they are. Okay. Um, nowadays, your kid's gone for like two or three days and they're like, somebody call the police. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you could be gone for four or five days before they're like, did they die of the smallpox? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. We're still wondering. Well, we don't know yet. The, the principal calls. One would imagine that she's been out of class for quite some time. Mm-hmm. The mother is like, you know, <laughs> she's had an accident. She's fine. She's still in some pain, so we're going to keep her home. What happened was I beat the fuck out of her, didn't take her to the doctor, and she's currently sitting on the toilet where she's been for the last two weeks. Exactly. Her being her, Marie being her, her father hears about the rumors of her accident and decided to go check up on his kid and when he arrives there he sees the condition that marie is in and chooses to take her out of the home for a time marie actually lived with her father and her aunt who was already responsible for two of marie's sisters marie was one of eight Mm. total dad needs to keep it in his pants yo a combination of two mm-hmm. mom close your legs dad put your pee pee away mm-hmm. so I'll one of eight it, children something. well her her aunt viewed her as nothing more than like another mouth to feed and so she would torment her and pick on her and call her a little devil her father remarried and when her father remarried she was sent back to her mother for a short time she was about eight or nine and her mother still an alcoholic she's <clears throat> she's being sent back to this woman that f- falafel farfignugan uh this woman fucking hates her you know what i mean and so she's being sent back to her mom yet again and one morning okay so queso cheese i'd like some delicious please i'm hungry her mom still a raging alcoholic one day gets up and she decides to drunkenly chase Marie around the house with a beer bottle, telling her that she's going to stab her and she's going to like smash her with this bottle and kill her. Well, Marie had learned that if she take like if she took shelter under this old rickety ass bed, you know, the ones with the metal fucking mm-hmm. box springs. So she would crawl under there, hook her fingers into the springs, these rusty fucking springs, and she would launch herself, like pick herself up as close to the underneath of the mattress as she can and like get up in the far, far corner. Her mom would come in there with like a broomstick to like poke and probe and yeah. like beat her out from under the bed. But she couldn't reach her if she would lift up and like you know what I mean? Because there's only Christ. so far that you can like. Yeah, there's only hit so much you can with yeah. the with the broomstick. So without any leverage, when you're right, like got six inches, you're like you're tink tink tink. Yeah. At that point, you're not really hurting him, and you can only poke so far under the bed. So she kind of learned that if she would get under this old nasty fucking rusty set of metal box springs, she could like hide. Well, her mother had taken to going to pass out (laughs) eventually she gave up and she went into another room marie now fearing for her life is like i gotta get the fuck out of here she didn't know whether or not her mom would make good on that threat to kill her but she certainly didn't want to find out Mm, and given the condition her mother is in alcoholics don't really think about things (laughs) past the tip of their own nose and what is underneath it you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying so um being that her mom beat the shit out of her, dislocated her hip, and let's let's go ahead and face some facts. When you leave a joint dislocated, like nurses, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't that cause long term damage? I think so, because that yeah, you gotta put it back into socket so that it's not well fucked up and like blood flow and mm-hmm. things to a limb. Mm-hmm. Marie can hear her mom snoring, so at that point she knows that her mother has passed out. However, the drunk bitch had taken her coat and her shoes before she passed out and hid them. And she passed out stone cold, like in a doorway. Now, her mom, afraid that Marie would cause more trouble, like telling on her to either teachers or her dad or anything, that was her way of trying to keep Marie in the house. She was going to take her shoes, she was going to take her coat and fucking hide it. Okay. And they lived in the middle of fucking nowhere, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Where Dunder Mifflin is. Yes. That's what she said. (laughs) Now, her, so her mom takes her shit and hides it. And then she actually passed out like in front of a doorway, like laid there so that she would either hear her or be able to like stop her. Well, Marie tiptoes out, finds some sneakers. She has no socks, jams them on her feet 
And the only thing she had on was an old pair of pants and a sweater and sneaks out into the darkness, bolts out the door looking for help. Now, Marie lived quite a ways from her father. So walking to his house in the middle of the winter in Scranton, Pennsylvania was not really going to take that's that's just not going to happen in the middle of the night. It's not a realistic uh, thing. No. So she she actually takes off and she finds a phone booth. Now, for you youngsters that don't know this, phones actually. (laughs) (laughs) Sammy, but, you know, phone booths are not really not even a phone bank. Do you have a phone bank? (laughs) Wall of phones? (laughs) I just don't have any signal for my beeper. My my pager. My pager. (laughs) Um, Anyway, she finds this uh, phone booth at a gas station. And that's where she she runs into there trying to get some help. By the way, we're not old enough to know what a phone booth is. We Googled it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 Like at school, when we wanted to get checked out, we had to use a motherfucking payphone to call our mom. She could barely reach, but she managed to get her frozen hands on the phone, and luckily an operator came to the line. Marie had no idea how to find her father, but she sobbed and screamed uh, to the operator to please find her daddy. Marie said she must have been quite loud because a man from a nearby apartment complex heard her and came to investigate. Marie, terrified, leaned against the booth door and screamed louder for help. Eventually, a police car stopped and the man was able to explain to the officer what he found in that phone booth. The doctor took Marie, not the doctor, I'm making shit up now. (laughs) Focus. Wow. Mary. The officer took Marie and placed her into the squad car uh, against the heater, trying to unthaw her frozen, her frostbitten little body that she had. She was just like a frozen little girl. The neighbor from the apartment complex knew Marie's father and told the police where to find him. They drove Marie to his home and walked her over to the door where she would meet her stepmother, who took her in, bathed her, and gave her a place to stay. But this was not the happy ending. Ending. But this was not the happy ending we'd all like to hear. As Marie's stepmother was basically invented the word wicked. Yes. She was the definition of the wicked stepmother, not Cinderella, this bitch. And there were troubles almost immediately. Her sisters had already been placed in the home. Marie was an added expense and another drain on the meager household money. She was quarantined to her room with her sisters. They were not allowed to dine at the kitchen table with their stepmother and her family. Marie's father had taken plates of food into the room that held Marie, and his wife flew into a fit of rage over this, telling him, It's her or me. Show. Her stepmother had begun to throw her father's clothes and belongings out of the house. Like you do. Like you do. Marie was scared and told her sister Clarissa that she couldn't let this happen and she was taking her school books, school books and leaving. And so she did. Marie sought refuge with a friend and her family for nearly a year in the seventh grade. Shortly after the year mark, Marie's father had met her in the street in front of the school and demanded that she come home or else he would have her placed into a state facility or orphanage to live permanently. Marie didn't have a choice and moved home that day. If I was her, I'd probably pick the frickin' orphanage. I don't know. It sounds like stepmom is a bitch. Upon Marie's arrival in the home, her stepmother chased her into her sister's room and started to beat her. She hit Marie so hard that it was believed that she ruptured Marie's eardrum. Marie's sister stood against the stepmother, grabbing her and telling her she was a witch and that she was evil for demanding Marie come home just so she could beat her. Later that evening, Marie was then accosted by her father, who told her that if she caused him any more trouble or humiliation, that he would kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, that orphanage is looking a lot better now. Right? Can we? Can I get a fucking amen on that one? Like, shit, man, just take me to the fucking orphanage already. Please. Marie had been grounded indefinitely. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Me. I'm still <laughs> grounded, I think. Uh, you're still fucking grounded. You're done. She was allowed to go to school and to home, and after she completed whatever chores had been given to her, she had to go to her room, and that's where she stayed. She couldn't go anywhere, not with her friends, no activities, nothing. Soon, she took a job at a factory where she was actually bagging dresses, and she would later quit school to work here full-time. Marie missed school, but she liked being able to make a living and live on her own. Um, later. 
uh, she she liked having the independence and like having her own money. I her father, too. yeah, right. Especially her father. Being, sorry, you're fine. I don't mean to cut you off, but God, I keep thinking about the, the mom and the stepmom and the dad, and like, fuck, get, you literally get me out. Yeah, she literally had nowhere to turn. So if she lives with her mom, she's getting beat. Lives with dad, she's going to get her ass kicked anyway. Like people just kind of hated her and shit on her from every angle. Uh, her father had fallen ill and was taken to the VA hospital where he would be diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she left the house again to go live with her friends. On his deathbed, her father insisted that Marie move back home with her stepmom and help raise his sons. No. Uh-huh. He wanted... A, promise me, Marie. Promise me you'll go back. This and, is my last promise. Yep. Uh, so insisting that she go back and that you help raise whatever kids he had with the beast. And even on his deathbed, she wasn't going to lie to him and she straight up refused. Good. So she sacks up her shit and runs to New York to live with her older sisters. And her father died about two days later. Marie eventually went back to school and got her diploma attended Bernard Baruch College and had been on her own ever since. So when Marie met Charles on Montague Street and he gave her a rose, yeah, she Dad. fell and she fell hard fast. So there were flowers, there were gifts, um, you know, with words of love and adoration. She was on her own. And so for the attention that she was receiving from Charles, it was a nice change. She was lonely. Um, he was alone. She was alone. It kind of felt like fate you know what i mean like they were destined to be together that's uh, a lie it's a lie <laughs> um our lie detector determined that was a lie that's a lie that's a lie when charles decided that he was going to leave new york for california he actually begged brie to come along and guess what she did she's like okay let's go she quit her job she left any friends that she had and her job as long as well as her apartment and she took off to san francisco with charles mistake number one um you know it's one thing if you move to like jersey or like maine but to move across the fucking united states three thousand miles later dude no that's that's a fucking jaunt i don't even want to move across town with anyone (laughs) i'm like see and i'm 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 a wanderer so i'm like i don't care take me let's go where you want to go Let's go. I know. Well, yeah, she's Things young. Are, she didn't have kids. Like, I keep yeah. putting her in my situation. I got, I got kids, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I think it would be a little bit difficult for me now. Um, not, not because of my children, because my children are older and I've only got a brief time before they spread their wings and I kick them out of the fucking nest anyway. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of property and I have a lot of pets. Yeah. And it is one thing to take a dog with you, but it's quite another to take two dogs, three cats, two guinea pigs. A fucking snake <laughs> like by the time i round up all of my flora and fauna and put it into a car you i'm gonna have like to ace. move to a farm in wisconsin you look like ace ventura you walk come in. to me my feathery <laughs> little friends <laughs> walk in put your arms out and people just or animals just come from everywhere i know <laughs> now i just need a monkey <laughs> I, addison is free she's available 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 she's a monkey she's a monkey now just as marie had gotten settled into life in california charles is like hey going back to new york get your shit let's go and she foolishly fucking follows him for a second time now marie said that charles was very intense he was unpredictable and irresponsible but he seemed to genuinely love her Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm And for that, she was willing to look past the temper and the violent mood swings. They were married in a dark, gloomy, and dull civil court in Brooklyn. Been there. Yep. Not in Brooklyn. Not in Brooklyn, but... uh, So essentially, he proposes. She knows that he's violent. He has really bad mood springs. He's... Mood springs. I have those, too. Bang, 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 bang. (laughs) Happy, mad, sad, bad. (laughs) oh man okay so she knows that he's unpredictable he's irresponsible and he's very intense he's got these violent mood swings but she's got nowhere else to go nobody else that you know so she takes a chance and she does the shitty dull civil courts union there was no flowers 
There were no flowers, no friends, no family, no rice, no dress. And that was it. All right. Charles purchased a laundromat up in Brooklyn with the money that he claimed to have ordered while they were in San Francisco. What did I say ordered? Yeah. Earned. He purchased a laundromat with money that he claimed to have earned in San Francisco. Finger quotes. Yeah. Finger quotes. Earned. They had been buried about a month when she realized that Charles was a fucking criminal. And the money that he used to start the business, their laundromat, that was supposed to be like their main source of income, had actually been stolen. And the FBI was looking for her said stolen money. Charles called her from the city jail to tell her about his arrest. Now, the FBI agent that contacted her basically got on the phone and was like, you need to leave this man. He's a piece of shit. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's no good. Get out as fast as you can. You're young. You're beautiful. Kick fucking rocks that way. Mm-hmm. But Marie's friends and family, the few that she had, told her to do the exact opposite. Your friends and family suck. Yeah, your friends and family. Marie. You need to take them out of your top eight. Yeah. <laughs> like, no more. No. You need to put somebody else in <clears throat> your top eight, even if it's people you don't know. All right. anybody anybody the ones anybody except the ones you have they told her he was a good man and he had made a mistake give him a chance stand by his side no don't no don't let's not charles begged marie not to leave him so she stayed nine months of imprisonment in california yielded a pregnancy for marie that she did not plan while she visited him there no let me tell you how this works the right. P goes in the V and the squirt comes out and that's how you get pregnant. And when you're doing that in jail, that's what happens. Okay? Yeesh. Now you know. Charles was, re- was released shortly after David was conceived. Charles was convinced that he was to be the father that he never had. A doting, loving father. A perfect father. Uh-huh. From that moment that Davy was born, his father was proud of him. He would carry his son up and down the block of the neighborhood, boasting and showing off his respect, or showing off his perfect, brilliant, beautiful boy. For the four days after David's birth, Charles showered, showered Marie with floral arrangements and gifts, telling her, thank you for my son. No. He would tell her dozens of times a day. For two years, he focused on nothing, nothing except David. Preoccupation that seemed unnatural you don't say marie was warned never to let his son cry david became spoiled and an unmanageable child as you could imagine if you're not supposed to let your child fucking cry charles indulged david's every wish and whim whenever marie attempted to step in and discipline davy charles would fly into a fit of rage and tell marie never to hurt his son never let him cry or else marie knew his threats to her were very real but she never thought him capable of hurting david Right before David, David's second birthday, Davy refused to go to bed. He was throwing a tantrum and refused to leave his new pile of toys that his father had gifted him. Marie put the toddler to bed and tried to soothe him, rubbing his back and singing to him, but nothing worked. Marie decided to let David cry this one out. Charles had come home early from work that night and came into the apartment to the sound of his weeping son. Charles kicked the door open, furious and rushed Marie, throwing her into the wall. Charles picked up David and rocked him for hours until the boy fell asleep in his father's arms. Uh-huh. God. <clears throat> if I had a dollar for every time I had to let my kids cry it out, I'd be rich as fuck. Right? <laughs> God. Especially <clears throat> Addie. Sorry, man. You're just going to have to weep. Like, I tried the things that I know how to do. You're on your fucking own now. Marie was young, David her only child. She didn't know exactly how to care for him. Kids obviously don't come with instructions. We don't know what the fuck we're doing when we have babies. Marie hated to see David upset, to cry, and where she hated David's control over her with tears. Her landlady advised her not to give in to the tears. Let him cry to sleep. When Marie tried this, Charles threw her against the wall. While Charles was tending to David, Marie snuck out of the room and onto the sofa, bewildered and hurt. She made herself a cup of tea to calm herself. Charles Charles exited David's room and ran to her. I told you not to let my baby cry. He flung her tea out of her hands and snatched her up by the neck of her nightgown and knocked her onto the floor. 
Mm-hmm. You're so sweet. Such a good father, because that's a good thing for your kid to see is you kicking the shit out Beating of their the shit mother. out of your wife. So yeah, he snatches her up and throws her down and begins kicking her. The neighbors called police while they were trying to get help from a landlady. Now the landlady went over there and was trying to reason with Charles. And he, she she basically was like, Charles, you have to let him cry. You're, you're spoiling him. Charles wouldn't hear of it. Now, from everybody, including Marie, by all accounts, Rothenberger was a doting, nurturing father. He was always a good provider and a good father is what Marie now says, and that this is coming from the book. The book that I used is called David, and it was written in the 80s by Mel White and um, Marie. She said that, I never doubted that he loved Davy. Charles bought all or most of the boys' clothes, offered what child support money he could afford from his wages as a cab driver or a waiter. He walked his son to and from school almost every single day and often carried him in his arms. Uh, fellow cabbies that he worked with remember how he talked incessantly about the boy and he sported a pin on his lapel that said, I love David. He wore a pager so that David could reach him 24 hours a day. A pager. I don't like this. Yeah. I, I'm going to get pins that say, I love Eddie. I love Tyler. I love Calvin. Yeah. Is that weird? Yes, it fucking yeah, is. Don't do it. It's a little creep. A little creep. Like it's sweet. Ish. Sort of. But he carries this pager so that David could reach his father 24 hours a day. He had a very troubling side to him, obviously. Charles Rothenberger was one of those people that when he fixated on something, that was it. He had a criminal record before he was 18. The most serious of his crimes were attempted robbery, for which he was arrested and jailed. Marie, who married Rothenberger in February of 1975 at the age of 25, divorced him in 1978 while he was serving a print and... It's a little bit nicer than prison. Britain. You have your own showers, your own toilets. Like, it's just a little bit nicer in Britain. Britain. (laughs) So, he was serving a prison sentence for check forgery. Hmm. She did not take David to see his father during that two-year period. Now, there is a theory that the boy was too young to understand, and he would be told when he was older. And this is something that Charles Rothenberger would never forgive her for. So he spent two years in prison, never got to see his son. And she was like, he's a little boy. Like, how am I supposed to take him in and out of the prison? And then he doesn't understand why you're not answering his pages, why you're not coming every other weekend, that kind of thing. And why can't I stay with dad? Why can't dad go with me? Why Yeah, why I mean, can't just, we touch dad when we go see him? Yeah. If it's that kind, I don't know what kind of prison it was. Most but. prisons, you don't get to have... I don't know. I don't know, because David was conceived in prison, so they were getting conjugals. Yeah. Now, Marie and Charles had been divorced for almost five years by 1983. This is the year that would completely rock and change their lives forever. Like, your life is going to be altered in the worst ways possible. Now. What year was it? 1983. Mm -mm. I don't like it. I don't like that year. Nope. Mm. Late 1983, Marie had received a call while she was at work from Charles. She worked as a secretary for an architect firm in Manhattan. She had just settled into her workway, workway, her workway, her workday when Charles phoned to ask about David and he asked for an extended visit. Now, Marie stated that there was nothing unusual about the request to take David, but she felt uneasy nonetheless <coughs> i think i'm getting sick yeah sorry my kid is sick right now and i think that i've probably picked up her shit god damn it kid i know <clears throat> something about his voice made marie very nervous charles said that he was going to be starting a new job soon and that he had about six days before he started and he was going to be reporting for duties at a car driving service now, for those of us who don't live in the big inner cities, mm-hmm. they actually, inst- like, not just cab drivers, but people can call for a car <clears throat> and have somebody come pick them up and deliver them to many yeah. places. Not like us out here in the boonies where we drive fucking pickup trucks and have our own cars because everything's far, far away. And if you don't have that, you can just drive a four-wheeler. Uh, funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I stopped in uh, Duchesne yeah. to go to the restroom and grab a snack on my way home from Salt Lake the other day, mm-hmm. and there were three what appeared to be semi-buzzed women <clears throat> getting hot stuff pizza. 
They all showed up on a three-wheeler, or four-wheeler, I should say. They bungee-strapped their pizzas to the rack on the front <laughs> and drove home with their pizzas. And I was like, dude, that's not actually very clever because you can still get a DUI yeah, you can. on a four-wheeler. Sure you have can. to be a licensed driver to drive a four-wheeler on city streets, and it has to be street legal. Therefore, you can still... Dude, you can get a DUI on a horse. Or a bicycle, I yes. found. <clears throat> yep. The only way to avoid getting a DUI is to be on your Lamborghinis. Use your good old Chevrolet legs. <laughs> Chevrolet legs. <laughs> and even then, you can get a public intox. Yeah. You were Depending drunk on, in public. I was punk and drublic. I didn't want to be drunk in public. I wanted to be drunk at a bar. But they put me into public. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this wasn't my idea, so you can fuck off that way. <clears throat> <coughs> excuse me anyway he had this six days before he was supposed to start this new job and he wanted to spend all of that time with david marie said that she very sen- seldom refused a request from from charles okay mm-hmm. um if ever he wanted to be with his son unless it was impeding plans that she already made she never told him no yeah he lived six blocks from her and the young boy that they shared <clears throat> Marie knew that on his visitation, Charles could be trusted trusted to get David to and from school, pick him up from daycare, and she'd often see him at the park or they'd be like cavorting around the neighborhood together. There was actually no reason whatsoever for her to deny this visit. Well, obviously, if he doesn't even want the kid to cry, she's probably like, hey, he's going to take care of him just fine. Oh, well, and there was nothing for her to suspect that this was any different than any other visit. But on the night that Charles actually came for David, Marie said that she was afraid. Mm. And like, just to give you like a brief, like understanding of her history with Charles, like she even invited him to come spend Christmas with her and her fiance and David once. Like he was, Charles was all alone and she had a new man in her life and they weren't living together, but they were going to be spending Christmas together. So Christmas Eve, Charles actually came over for dinner, spent the evening with his ex-wife and her new dude and their son. And then he actually asked if he could come over for David to open presents the next morning. And of course, she's like, okay, well, her boyfriend, John, is like, what the fuck? Like, this is your ex-husband. What the hell? And she's like, he's all alone. He's still David's father. Like, imagine, do you, would you like to be home alone on the holidays? Yeah, I would do that with my kids. Yeah. Because here's my standpoint, and maybe it will leave me alone forever. My kids are the most important to me. If their dad can be involved on their Christmas, I can put my shit aside so that their dad can be here with them. Plus, I don't want him to be alone. There's no reason. Charles arrived with a brand new suitcase. Charles shows, showed Davy they'd no longer be using the old shopping bags to tote their things back and forth. Charles had currently been working as a waiter in a restaurant, working 12 to 14 hour days with only one day off a week, and that day was always spent with David. Charles had arrived wearing new designer clothes as well. Clothes as well. He looked great, happy, and David was happy to see his father. Marie couldn't keep him from his daddy. David was rushing about from room to room to gather all of his belongings for the week for the long trip with his father. David started to gather his Atari games to take with him, and Charles told him that he wouldn't need it this time. Marie was confused. They always took the games. She thought this to be a mistake, as David would surely be saddened that his father didn't want to play his favorite games with him. Charles told David that they were going to the mountains, to the Catskills, to the country to a game farm because it's warm right now right yeah. no it's uh, not what you doing <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude what the fuck you doing yeah i don't know no <clears throat> there they would play outdoors and get fresh air and spend some bonding time marie should have caught on to this lie as it were winter and the catskills would be freezing but at the time she missed it Charles demanded extra clothes, extra clothing, extra shoes, things Marie thought were an odd request. When Marie inquired as to why, since they lived so close, she could bring those things if they needed, Charles persisted, get the shoes, Marie, now. Charles was being rude and demanding. Marie advised that Dave had a special assembly at school and that he would need his red tie. Charles snapped at her. I have a red tie, Marie. He can use mine. We're leaving. Marie tried to kiss and hug her son goodbye, but David squirmed away from her. Not now, Mommy. I want to go be with my daddy. 
As a single parent, her alone time was often a relief and she would use it to self-care and take time to relax. But this time, Marie couldn't relax. She felt alarmed. The next day, she phoned Charles' apartment and was greeted by the answering machine. She had called about an Easter candy fundraiser order. She admitted that she was using this as an excuse to call and check on them since she hadn't seen them jaunting about the neighborhood. She called several times and that night there was no answer. She left messages that were not returned. Marie had put together a couple of scenarios in her head. Maybe they maybe they had gone for a movie. Maybe they'd gone out. You know what? They probably went out for dinner. Perhaps, you know what? They they went and picked up Charles's new girlfriend and they went shopping. Her anxiety had peaked and she had reached out to her fiance, John. He was a policeman for New York, had several years of service under his belt and was looking for reassurance. John had comforted Marie, assuring her that Charles had always taken care of David, that Charles loved loved his son and that she had no reason to worry. Charles had taken Davy Wednesday night and finally called on Friday. Charles asked Marie if if she would be picking up David from daycare that following Wednesday. Marie thought that this was an odd reminder because, of course, she was going to be there to get her son. But she pondered, I'm going to see him before that, right? Like, we live in the same neighborhood. We live six blocks from each other in fucking Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm going to... Even if they went to the mountains for the weekend, she'd get phone calls, right? She'd see him around the block. They were going to be in the park. Like, she was going to see him going to the pizza parlor, right? Yeah, so the mountain can't be that long. He's got school. Right. So even with all of this, she, looking back, said that it was an odd series of events and that Charles was trying to distance himself from her. And I think that he thought... She was just going to settle into this long six days of no boy in the house and just forget about David in the meantime and be like, oh, fucking, I guess, whatever. No, that's not how mothering works. No. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. But that's what Charles was looking at, I think. You know, I'm going to distance my son and myself away from his mother. She's going to have this private alone time. Or, you know, she can spend it with her fiance, John. And for the next five days, maybe you guys can just fuck off over there. Well, Marie is now more determined than ever to follow like their every movement because she feels very weird about this visitation time. Saturday comes and Marie and John had actually driven to this flea market in Jersey. And the entire way there, he, John, was pestered with Marie's suspicions about what was actually going on. Mm -hmm. So John finally gets exasperated and he's like, what the fuck? Like, why are you so skeptical of Charles? Like, what is so weird about this particular visit that you can't shut your mouth? What is going on? Bad person. And that's when Marie was like, I know that man. I know his face. Like, he's doing something. He is, he's being fucking shady. Like, somewhere he is plotting and scheming. And I just feel like this time is different. John advised that she could call him and check on her son. And then maybe you could relax. Like, just call and see what they're doing. And then maybe you can take the pin and put it back in the grenade and calm the fuck down. And Marie was like, well, I can't call them. They're not even home. They're at a game farm in the Catskills. And this is where John is like, you know, and the guy looks shocked. And he's looking at Marie and he's like, "Um, wait, what? That's impossible. And Marie at that point is now like her fears have been confirmed. So she's wearing it on her face. John is like, that is a summertime operation. Like it's the Catskills. It's freezing. It's February, Marie. It's too cold up there. She's like, see, now you know I'm freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And, and he's like, there's like that entire place closes down for the season. They can't possibly be up there. So Marie's like, fuck, I knew it. (laughs) A little too late. Little, little too late on that uptake. Mm. So, which sucks because she, when you have that gut feeling, mm-hmm. don't ever ignore that gut feeling. Nope. Don't, 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 don't be suspicious. Don't, 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 don't be suspicious. Don't, don't, don't ever, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Have you seen that video? No. Oh God, I'm going to have to show it to you. So anyway, um, you know, when you're faced with, the father of your child who has never given you a reason to be suspicious or, you know, fearful of this person. Uh, I mean, for yourself, but not for him. But you let that, you know, you're you're worried, but you let your intuition and your gut feeling like you push it down and to the side and you're like, shh, shh, everything's okay. 
and then you miss key details. Like, we're going to a game farm in the Catskills, and you're like, okay. And then later, somebody's like, they can't go to the fucking game farm in the Catskills. It's February. And she's like, fuck. I knew it. Well, Marie started calling Charles' apartment all weekend. She called Saturday. She called Sunday. Nothing. She called very early on Monday and still nothing. They had to come back. This was her thinking. David has school. They have to come back. She was choking down terrible fear by the time she gets to her office on Monday. And <clears throat> she was like, okay, maybe maybe they had gone to the Catskills. Okay. And they get up there and last minute they're like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. It's February and this is a summertime thing. So they had to rearrange and change their plans last minute and, and go somewhere, go somewhere exactly go somewhere else so maybe they didn't have phones maybe they got snowed in maybe they did go to the catskills maybe it was open for the weekend and they got snowed in so she's like mm-hmm. creating all of these different excuses and rhymes and reasons for like why trying she to can't, make it okay in her head yeah why to justify why the lack of communication she called his apartment all day Monday, nothing. She called him until late into the evening with no response. Marie finally called a neighbor whose son was David's in David's class to ask if David had been in class that day. It was past 10.30, but she had to know. When Marie finally got to Ruth Lynn, got, Jesus. When Marie finally got Ruth Lynn on the phone, she begged her neighbor to ask her son if David was in class. Yes, he's in bed, but I'll go wake him. What's going on? what she said marie begged for the woman to just go find out if her son christopher had seen david ruthlin woke up her son and said was david in class today no mommy mrs clapper was asking if anyone had seen him was the tired child's reply he hasn't been in school at that point marie's anxiety and fear turned into terror she knew that her son had been abducted by his father Marie hysterically asked if Davy had been in school Thursday and Friday. The sleepy boy on the other end of the phone couldn't remember but said he didn't think so. Marie told Ruthland she promised to explain all this later and then she slammed the receiver down. Marie didn't call the school. She had been calling Charles. She felt stupid, irresponsible, and angry. Marie phoned John and screamed that David was kidnapped. John tried to calm her over and over. John told Marie to call Charles's former employer to see if they had heard from him or talked to him. She rushed, she rushed to dial the number two Luchow's, Le, Le something like that, restaurant. Luchow's. <laughs> Luchow's restaurant. Marie asked to speak with someone about a former employee. When she said Charles's name, the line went silent. Hello? Hold for the manager, please. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's never a good sign. Marie knew that embarrassing silence all too well. When the manager answered and Marie asked about Charles, she was met with concerns from the manager as well. Miss, we'd feel a lot better if we knew where he was, too. There has been a warrant issued for his, for his arrest. If you find him, please let us know. Charles had been fired for misconduct, theft, and an act of retaliation. Charles had vandalized Lu Chow's valuable interior with spray paint on the walls and computers. Marie had recalled that he said that he was going to be starting that new job, right? That was the whole reason for him mm-hmm. to take David because he had this little bit of time before he was going to go work for the car service. So she phoned to speak with the owner of the service. His name is Larry Kanterwitz, which... Reminds me of Fievel Mouskowitz. <laughs> Work for me? No, I haven't seen Charles in a very long time, Marie. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So Marie crumples. She's like, oh, fuck. And it it all, like, everything comes dialing in on her now. And she realizes my son's been fucking kidnapped. Mm-hmm. So she crumples. She calls her brother-in-law, crying, sh- shrieking into the phone that David has been kidnapped. She begs for her brother-in-law to come ASAP so that they can go to Charles's apartment and look for clues. When her brother arrived, they drove over to the Huntington... Yes, that place. I've been there. Very nice. I've actually gone there. It's a great place. (laughs) She begged for him to come ASAP so they could go to Charles' apartment to look for clues. When her brother-in-law arrived, they drove... They drove quickly to the Huntington Street apartment. Marie started beating on his door, obviously, no answer. She then ran to the landlord's door and began begging for news from her about her son. Mm -hmm. Have you seen my ex-husband? He's kidnapped my son. The landlady ran to Marie, if only I had known sooner. If I had known how to find you, 
He's a madman. He's gone. He left with suitcases on Thursday. He was rushing around throwing and dumping his belongings. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't like it. No. Marie asked if David had been with him on that day, and the landlady said no. When Marie pressed for the contents of what was being thrown away, the landlady horrifies Marie with Charles had torn up and discarded several son, several photos of his son, which was completely unlike him. Uh-huh. Marie learned that checks had been stolen from the landlady's mail, and they had been taken by Charles, who obviously had denied everything, but Marie begged to call the police from the landlady's phone. The squad car arrived almost immediately. Marie told the police that her son had been missing for about five days. She said that the landlady had witnessed him tearing up photos and throwing away his stuff and that he had left with a suitcase all willy-fucking-nilly. The police, um, the police, without a warrant or a probable cause statement, you are not to enter somebody else's home, okay? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not opposed to. Now, there had been an, okay, there'd been a warrant issued from Luchow's for the destruction of property and the retaliation and the theft, but that was a completely separate matter. Now, they're standing outside of the apartment, and the police are not supposed to get in there, and Marie, at this point, is fucking hysterical, and she's like, kick the goddamn door open, get, you know... I don't give a fuck what you find gotta my do. Kid. Get yeah. in there. Get in there. Well, the landlady shows up with the key, and they took a chance, and they went ahead and entered. They had the key, and the landlady... Now, your landlady could be like, go in there and see what the fuck. Yep. Okay. There was a handwritten note that had actually been taped to his door that said that he would be in upstate New York for about a month. However, when they got inside of the apartment, there was something far worse that was waiting for them. There was a note with the apartment keys that said, thanks for everything. Here are your keys. I won't be returning. Charles Rothenberger. Mm. The only traces of David were, were his bicycle and a few of his toys. Other than that, the place was bare. He's got my baby. My baby. He's taken my baby. I don't like it. That gave me all the chills. I know. The police searched the apartment, and they were hoping that they didn't find a body of David, and they did not. They then drove a sobbing Marie to the station house so that she could make a file a missing persons report and make a statement. Marie had advised that... So she had been advised that she was going to have to take care of this through the family court system. <laughs> yeah. So so she gets there and they're like, Marie, there are channels for such types of uh, misunderstandings. And she launches into this fucking verbal assault, right? She looks at him. She's like, this isn't a fucking misunderstanding. This crazy person, this madman has taken my son. And he checked out of his house, moved out, threw all his shit away. And he has my kid. Yeah. So, at this particular juncture, she's having a goddamn come apart, and I think the screaming, hysterical fury, like, of the attack that she launched on police kind of took them, like, took them back a little bit, because they were like, uh. Okay. Yeah, they weren't 100% sure, like, what, what to do next. So, Marie is like, do something and do something now. They put out an APB for Charles and David, if the police had followed the rules, the protocol and regulations, nothing would be happening just yet. None of these things would be taking place just yet. So all points bulletin goes out for Charles and David. Marie starts her waiting. She waited for a call Monday. There was none. Mm-mm. She gets called Tuesday. No. No. She takes the train to work. She knows that Charles knows the number to her work office. If he did call, it would be there. So she could do nothing but wait. Just before she would take a break for lunch, she gets a call. Hello, Marie. He's all calm and cool like a cucumber in a bowl of hot sauce. My Just fucker. all put together. Hello, Marie. So, of course, she, Charles, where are you? Where's my son? Let me talk to my son. Where is David? Charles. And he says, you can't, Marie. No, 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 no. Yeah, just all calm and slow and steady. You can't, Marie. Yes, I fucking can. He's my kid. The end. That's where I'm fucking dropping you guys for the week. Big cunt. I know I'm an asshole, but fuck you guys. It's called suspense and I like it. 
<laughs> so join us next week for more heinous fuckery most foul. So maybe uh, don't kidnap children, yours or anybody else's. And, and uh, stay, stay out, out of talk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.